Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Okay, let's bring her down to a dull roar, if we can. And uh, Matthew was mentioning about the service next week, that one service. We really want to encourage families to spend as much time together as you can. Well, I want to encourage you, if you don't already do it, start a family reunion. And you're perfectly welcome to use the student center back there to, to meet in and to use any. We want to do anything we can to, to encourage strengthening the families, uh, starting with the young families. Because it's at least my observation that in my lifetime, the one thing that nobody really talks about much because all of us have been affected by it is the deterioration of the family unit. The security and the, the lack of security that many of our now almost grown children have, the insecurities that are there, to a large extent, in my opinion, is directly related to not having a nuclear family or someone that is a, uh, a supporter who've stepped in, because Alice Kay and I have had a little more experience than some because we had three foster, she kept having babies and, and had, she had five that I know about. And uh, she had, we had, we had three foster children and we, a couple of our grandchildren we helped raise. And we brought those two thieves over from Uganda and uh, got, got them on their way. And in talking with different ones of them, it's just really interesting to see that if they don't have someone there that really loves them, that will, uh, well, Eddie likes to say it like this. He's the one of the youngsters from, U, from Uganda. He said, we, you were the daddy we never had and sometimes resented because you have to talk to, to them pretty straight sometimes, and it isn't always pleasant, but it is necessary. I just wanted to say, put that two cents worth in there. So we won't have a lot of services here, the reason being we want you to spend time together with your family. And if you can't afford to go see your mommy and daddy, why, I'll give you a couple of bucks. You know, get together and learn to love each other and to encourage each other because we need it. Now, the, the text this morning is one that you all know. It's from the, and, and if you don't have a, uh, a, uh, a bulletin with a sermon outline in front of you, go get one because you're going to need it and a couple of things that we're going to say at least at the outset. There's several back there. <clears throat> the story that's here that we talk about from the very beginning there in the sermon outline reads this way starting at verse 26 is in the sixth month God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee now let me tell you about Nazareth Nazareth was the nearest no town as far as the Jews were concerned and everybody else that's the reason they said about Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, it, it was the armpit, and, and, and it was viewed that way. 
But God did that on purpose. Jesus came into the world when he put on skin and, and flesh and dwelt among us. He came as the poorest of the poor. Now, the next time he's coming, he'll come as royalty. But in order to identify with everybody, he came that way. And he came from a town that was not impressive. It's like the hilltoppers used to talk about the west side. And the west side talked about Kentucky. And they were all wrong. It should have been just the opposite, you know. Come on, wake up. It's, it's all right. All right. He came to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph who was a descendant of David. Now, let's talk about the word virgin. Because many liberals use what's in the Old Testament and the New Testament to see they, they, don't, they don't agree. And they try to make a big deal out of this. In the Old Testament, when the prophecy was made that Jesus would be born, it does not use, in the, in the Hebrew, it does not use the word virgin. It uses the word Alma, which simply means a young woman that can or cannot be a virgin. It can be either. Now, what happened in the, when the New Testament was written in the Greek language, the Holy Spirit inspired the Greek writer, the, the writer of Scripture, to use the term Parthenos. Now, Parthenos is is a word that means a virgin, a girl who has not had intercourse with a man. And then the translators of the scripture, after they saw that, who believed in the word of God, then took that New Testament term and applied it to the Old Testament. And in many instances in the Old Testament, it'll say virgin, but the scripture doesn't really, it just says young woman. They don't contradict each other because she was a young woman, a very young woman. I happen to believe, and I do not have scripture for this. This is a personal opinion, and I'll tell you why. I happen to believe that Mary, when she was confronted by the angel of God and told her that she was going to have a child, I strongly suspect that it was before she even had a menstrual cycle. Now, the reason I believe that is because of several Old Testament instances when God directly involved himself. If you go to Abraham, he was married to an older woman when she became pregnant. She was past menopause. The same thing was true when Samuel was born. She was past menopause, and still she was impregnated and gave birth to a child. God has a tendency to use that which is impossible to do so that everybody will understand that it's this not a human happening. God has involved himself in human history and has done what can't be done. I've always thought this was an interesting passage related, you know, you kind of relate things to yourself. When Alice Kay gave birth to number two, Brian, and there have been times when I wish she hadn't, but because he's been a pain in, in the 
neck or somewhere in a lot of instances. And um, she, we lived in a little town down out of Madisonville, Kentucky, called Nebo. It's about 10 miles into Madisonville. She came to the hospital in, Madison, in Madisonville, the hospital there, and, uh, and gave birth to, to a little boy. And, um, he, and at the same time she gave birth, she was, you know, still in her 20s, and, and there was a lady there who was, I think, 56, who gave birth to a son that weighed 14 pounds. And, he for, and it was the prettiest child you ever saw. You remember when we had, some of you old codgers remember when we had uh, uh, dolls that, were, that had the, the ceramic head and so on and so forth and that were just to perfection? That, baby, that was the prettiest baby I ever saw. Our baby looked like a prune. <laughs> and, I, and, the, and the thing that made it memorable was when I got home, I left her to the hospital, went home. It was probably 6 o'clock in the morning. I pulled in at the place to get me a cup of coffee there before I went to the house. And H.E. Barron ran a little pool room and coffee place and, and gas station. And he said, is the baby here yet? I said, yes. What was it? He's a boy. What would you name him? I said, Brian Scott. He said, well, that makes sense to me because the oldest boy's name was Gregory D. He said, if you have one with his initials GD, you might as well have one with initials BS. <laughs> he really did say I didn't make that up. Well, that, that tale now told... I think I think what you're you're looking at here, any way, shape, or form, when Jesus chose to come to earth, he took a young girl and through the power of God impregnated her and she gave birth to a child, a little boy. But between the time that she was impregnated until the time that she delivered that little boy and they laid him in a feeding trough, probably with some straw under him. She never had, the scripture says she never had intercourse with the man that would ultimately be her husband, Joseph. Those are just things that, 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 you should ponder because that's what the scripture said Mary did. She took those things that were happening that she didn't really understand and pondered them. That's what the scripture says she did. So for you to ponder them is okay. And uh, if you want to differ with me, that's all right too. I can't help it if you're wrong. So let's go ahead now. And, and look at the sermon outline for a little bit, and we'll kind of, we, we can't breeze through it because there's too much here. What I want you to notice is what God was doing was he was carrying out a plan that he had made before the foundation of the earth. For you see, God is all-knowing, and he knew that man would sin. He knew that that was going to happen. And he knew what he was going to do about it. And it's even mentioned in the book of Genesis. 
he, 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 it's just spelled out, I think, with a great deal of, of clarity. Now, what he's talking about here, what we're going to be talking about here a little bit, is what Jesus, when he came, what his intention was as he carried out the will of God. And it's all related to the kingdom of God. And he says so in verse 33 there in, in the second chapter of the book of Luke. And he said, meaning when the Messiah comes, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So we're talking about the kingdom of God. And when Jesus came, entered the ministry, the public ministry, his, he only had one sermon title. That sermon title was the kingdom of God. That was his only title. And so he comes here to establish his kingdom. Why? Because what he had originally created and brought into being had been co-opted by Satan himself. As a result of that, according to the book of Genesis and by our own experience, all of his creation came under a curse. All of it. All people and everything else were adversely affected by sin as it came into the world. Before they sinned and turned on, and of course it was a woman's fault. Or at least that's what Adam said, you remember that? When he was confronted, you know, he said, hey, look at that woman you gave me. When uh, I've tried this with my wife, it doesn't work very well. So if you're really smart, you'll take my advice and just don't put that, don't bring that up. They kind of let that slide. That's just some advice from the elderly that you probably should listen to. But the entirety of creation came under a curse. Woman, from that time on, would have pain in childbirth. Before then, she just popped them little suckers out. Man, who cared for the garden, all he, he didn't have much to do, but he, he was responsible for caring for the garden, would have to work now and earn a living because God welfare program was over he had to earn what he got and he would have to do it with hard labor the earth where we earn our living was also corrupted and now for the first time weeds would begin to grow And they are a real pain. Did you ever try to get rid of a bull thistle in the far, on the farm? You probably haven't. But if you don't dig a hole big enough to put a post in, you can't get rid of it. You just cut it off, it's going to come back. Cut it off, it'll come back. I don't care how bad the weather gets, you can't get rid of them. And they'll just keep going. Thistles are not fun to deal with. So all of creation, all of creation was adversely affected by sin, as it, and now all of creation then came under the tutorage of the devil himself. See, Satan is not just a, a, a created force in the minds of people to explain why sin's in the world. He's a reality, and he has a whole bunch of helpers 
to badmouth them. We call them demons. So this, this earth that we have here is not only under a curse, it's under the domination now, as it was then, by Satan himself. And I'll prove that to you in just a moment. Now the result, the long-term result, of that happening was that this earth is doomed. This kingdom of this world is doomed. Doomed. And the scripture is abundantly clear in saying so. When you go over into the, into the New Testament in what Peter was writing, he clearly spells this out. And it needs to be clearly understood. In 2 Peter, he's talking about what's happening because of sin and it's being perpetuated by false teachers and evil people. He says that in the second chapter here, uh, or, or rather the third chapter, and then we'll go back to the second chapter, he talks about it this way. Here's what's going to happen as a result of what took place when Satan took over and he's still running the show. He says by the, that, 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 that what is here is being held together until God's timing by the word of God. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, he says in verse 7, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. He goes on to say, just to save time, we go on that he says that the day that day will come it's called the day of the lord will come like a thief in the night and the heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare i had a teacher in college happened to be the president of the university mr lusby he taught history and he said what you preachers need to get straight in your head is the Lord has said the world will be destroyed by fire but he didn't say who would light the match at that particular time we were just getting well acquainted with the power of atomic bombs and hydrogen bombs and how it can start a, a nuclear holocaust possibility of us lighting the match is real but it is going to happen as sure as the word of God can save your soul the word of God is true when it said that God's creation as we know it this universe will melt down you know this whole section you should read sometime in the third chapter of the book of Second Peter as it clarifies these things. Now, the good news is, that's the bad news. The good news is that God has made in his plan a rescue plan for those who will accept Jesus. And it's literally called a rescue plan in Scripture. He said, you know, here in the second, I said we'd go back to the second chapter 
of um, of Second Peter for, in, for just a moment. Here in the ninth verse, he he says it this way. He said, "If this story that he's telling is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from the trials." and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. God has established a rescue plan for his people. And he, and the way he says, now, if you don't believe this, let me show you what he's done in the past. And he uses at least two illustrations of how God rescued from something similar to what's going to happen to the entirety of creation. He said, do you remember Noah? All of creation came and was destroyed in the flood, but God had a rescue plan for Noah and his family. And he moves quickly then to Lot, which I think is even more graphic, because we know that Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah area, all of which were destroyed by fire. And Lot himself, however, was rescued. So he's saying, just as Noah and Lot were rescued, Jesus is coming for the purpose of, us, of rescuing you if you'll put your faith in him and accept who he said he really is. The followers of Jesus. Now, he goes further to say, and in the theological world, this becomes very, very important. That it is, the, it is the fulfilled prophecy that gives credibility to what I've been telling you. Because God had this plan. He was able, 700 years before Jesus put on skin and came and lived among us, in the book of Isaiah in particular, 7th chapter, of Isaiah, he said that the Messiah, and the word Messiah means the anointed one. The anointing was that which took place in the selecting of a king or a prince. And so he says, this anointed one who will reign over a spiritual kingdom, well, he didn't say spiritual then, but that's what it turns out, and I'll show you why. Who reigns over the kingdom of God we even know what his name will be. His name will be Jesus. And as a result of, of who he is, having impregnated this young girl through the power of the Holy Spirit to give birth to God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. Fully human, fully God. Anomaly? Sure, we don't understand that. Lots of things are above our head. But his name will be Jesus. And he said, not only that, but I know where he's going to be. I'll tell you where he's going to be born. He's going to be born in a little insignificant village called Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. That's the literal meaning of it. Why? Because the primary way people made a living around Bethlehem was raising wheat, and so it was called the house of bread. 
Oh, there was other things going on because we know David took care of sheep there, if you recall, when he was finally anointed by Samuel to be the ultimate king over Israel. But the important thing is to remember that whether it was Isaiah or Micah, they were saying hundreds of years before Jesus was born who he would be, what his name would be, where he, had, where he would be born. A town of no significance, he said, this little town. And at that particular time, most of, he said, and, and this was an, uh, something that, that, uh, that uh, Luke put in there to help you understand that what God was doing through his plan was directly related to the promise he made in Genesis that ultimately the head of Satan would be tramped on because there was one coming who was greater than he. John said he was so great that, that I'm not, he said, I'm not even worthy to untie shoes. And at that time, Luke says this really. He said, because of what he's doing in dealing with the curse of all of creation, of all the human beings, of all animals, in the field, of everything, all of creation has a reason to rejoice. That's in Luke 2.10. Now, what is confusing to people that needs to be said, and we'll state this time and time again, I'm even going to have you to read a book that I want you to buy for 10 bucks after the first of the year. It's entitled Radical. But it helps explain the nature of the kingdom of God that there's so much confusion about. See, we, we don't seem to understand that the, that the ruler of the world in which you and I are living is Satan himself. And we blithely say, well, God is in control. Ultimately, he is. But he's not running this earth now. Satan is. Now, you may say, well, where in the heck did you get that? I get that where I get everything else. Out of the Word of God. I've told you time and time again, these horrible things that happen, like the wars. Jesus said there's always, because Satan's in control, there's always going to be wars and rumors of wars. Horrible, evil things will continue to happen. But it's Jesus himself who points out, and, and John records it here in, in, in the Gospel of John. He points out what, for some reason or other, we are so hesitant, even in the theological world. And I think it's primarily because of, the, of, of what we call Calvinism. I'm not a big fan of John Calvin. He was really influenced more. He was an Augustinian monk, which meant that he was followed the writings and the teachings of Augustine, who wrote, who lived in the around 450 A.D. Brilliant Arnricus, but he was brilliant. 
And uh, most of the Catholic doctrine that is in practice today was really goes to the writings of Augustine, primarily in the City of God and a couple other books. But Jesus actually says out loud for everybody, Satan's, this is Satan's kingdom. He's directly responsible for all the evil stuff that goes on. If you look carefully at what the scripture says, when Jesus is doing the talking and, and, uh, and spelling this out, he actually, I think, makes it pretty clear what's that this kingdom is actually Satan's. I think he spells it out with a great deal of clarity. He calls, he says, he uses this term. He said, Satan is the prince of this world. That's the term he uses. Now, I, I don't expect you to know Greek, but this word prince is an interesting word. It is, the, it is a Greek word that means over. It's where we get the English word arch. An arch is something that we go under when we're building. This is the word that he uses to describe Satan's position over his kingdom. He uses the word that we translate arch. Sometimes it's translated prince. Sometimes it's translated ruler, all of which are good translations. In the NIV that I use, it, they use the word prince, that he is the prince of this world. But the word itself means he rules and is over it. As a result of that, if you look carefully, as a result of that, <clears throat> I think God gets blamed for a lot of things that shouldn't be laid at his feet. He gets blamed for all of the bad things that happen out here. Now, what I want you to do is to write this passage down so that you'll have it in case someone asks you. It's in the 12th chapter, <coughs> excuse me, 12th chapter of John, I'll say at verse 30 and following. Jesus said, this is in red letter, so he's doing the talking. Jesus said, <coughs> The voice that you heard that said, this is my son, blah, 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 <clears throat> is for your benefit, not mine. Now the time for judgment on this world, now is that time. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. This is a prophecy that is making. But I, when I be lifted up, will draw all men to me. There's a war between God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world. And it's a vicious war. And people get hurt by it all the time. But God gets blamed by it because people blithely say, well, God is in control. He's not in control of this world. Satan is. He is in control of his kingdom. Get that straight. There are two different kingdoms here. 
when Jesus was standing before Pilate, this is in the 19th chapter of John, when he was standing before Pilate, he made it abundantly clear, this, this kingdom that is under the curse is not mine. He says it this way. This is verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my being arrested by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. His kingdom at this time was in heaven. It's a spiritual kingdom. It is not a physical kingdom. The physical kingdom has been co-opted by Satan. And when you go over to the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, Jesus is actually referred to as the prince of this spiritual kingdom. And when you, when you <clears throat> understand this, Luke is writing here in, in, uh, in the fifth chapter, and he actually refers to Jesus as the prince of the kingdom of God. Same word. He's over it. He is the ruler. Ultimately, he'll be the king. We, we're not comfortable with kings. Our country came into existence to get rid of them. And so there's still this resistance to the concept of a king. But heaven knows that we need someone over us who loves us, who will protect us, who will encourage us, who will give us life. This spiritual kingdom you all already know, but for some reason or other, we let it go over our head. When Jesus started his earthly ministry, it's recorded in the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapters of the book of Matthew. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, he said to his disciples, they said, well, teach us to pray. He said, okay, here's the way it is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name what? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His is a heavenly spiritual kingdom. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus made it abundantly clear that we're born into both kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world where we are born in as a result of our mommy and our daddy and giving birth into this world. And John, in the third chapter, actually talks about it. He spells, because there was an old ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus. The ruler of the Jews meant that he belonged to the Sanhedrin. He was married, had children, because you had to, to be married to be a part of the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at night because he didn't want anybody bad-mouthing him. He was a politician. And here's the way the story goes. Now there was a man, this is the third chapter, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, that's the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, 
We know that you're a teacher that has come from God, for nobody can do the miracles that you do unless God is with him. Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Then he goes ahead and, and, and spells that out. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Now, generally speaking, theolog- in the theological world, this is the picture of, of, um, of, of baptism in the kingdom of God. And as I told you before, because the image of baptism, baptism is a teaching tool of the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what it is because it teaches you about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The picture is this. You die, you die to sin, separated from sin, repent of your sins. You're buried, come back out of the water, and the first thing you do when you come out of the water, you just saw it was what? Take a breath. Guess what? The word for breath and spirit is the same word. So the image, that, that's the reason Acts 2 says, you know, uh, it uses that, you, you uh, 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 saying uh, you, to be baptized and to receive the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.38. So he's saying here, but, but the, he is really showing, comparing that to the birth in the natural world. When I was hatched a couple of years ago, I, I just see if you're awake, that's okay. When I was hatched, you know, there was the breaking of the water of the womb. That still happens. And then the delivery of the child. And back then, they used to whop you on the fanny and, and make sure you started crying and took a deep breath. That means you're alive. And so he's saying, just as you were born of the water and, the, and, and breath to come into this world, you're born of the water and the spirit in the kingdom of God, because it's a spiritual kingdom. It's eternal. And when you're born again, when you're born into this world, you're born to die. When you're born into the kingdom of God, you are to live forever. What? It's, you all learned it from the time you were in Sunday school. That's one of the few verses you still remember. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. You see, the world and everything in it, including us, are temporary. The kingdom of God is eternal. That's the reason the time will come when Jesus comes again, that the kingdoms of this world will will then become the kingdom of our God. Revelation says we'll get to that in a few months. So please understand that when people say that God is in control, ultimately He is. His will will be done. But in the meantime, Satan's running this show. And, and why we can't get that clear to people so that they understand it, I don't know. But the Bible is abundantly clear in saying that. Satan is a prince of this world, meaning he's over it. 
Jesus is prince of the kingdom of God, and he's over it. And we're born into each of those. Actually, in the second chapter of the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul actually refers to us having dual citizenship. That's what I tried to get for Patrick and Eddie here. Alice McKay and I tried to do something that's illegal, that is legal and part of our legal system that says that you can have adult adoption. And so we were attempting to adopt to adopt Patrick and Eddie so they would have dual citizenship. Citizenship U.S., citizenship Uganda. That way they could come back and forth without difficulty. And the young judge, the good guy, didn't understand. He said, they can do the same thing without that. He was wrong. They can't get here. But I didn't hold it against him, but for a day or two. So being a part of the, of the kingdom of God, and, and I think I probably need to read this one passage to you just so, and, and so you can write it down if you need to. I think it's Acts 5.31, I think. Let me look and see here if I'm right. Guess what? When they were talking about Jesus... Just to save time, I'll read, I'll start at verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on the tree. God exalted him to his right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins. Same word. Acts 5.31. Jesus is the prince or overseer, overruler of the kingdom of God. If you're true, and you're, if, you, if you haven't been born of the Spirit, you're not really saved. You can be a church member and still go to hell on a skateboard. We must be born again. Billy Graham said that with effectiveness for years. You must be born just as we're uh, of the Spirit of God. Our body will go away. But when our spirit is united with the Spirit of God, we have eternal life as a guarantee. Scripture actually says that. So what are we to do between now and the time that the kingdom comes or that we die now, people keep saying to me when we start talking about that, well, the, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. Well, you don't know that. But the thief on the cross didn't go to heaven. He went to paradise. You read the 16th chapter of the, the book of Luke, and it spells out paradise is a part of Hades. On one side is Tartarus for the unrighteous. Other side... An uncrossable gulf is paradise. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. And so he then, Peter says, went to those imprisoned and preached to them. What did he preach? He preached the gospel. 
I will be resurrected and your sins are now forgiven. The, sin, the, 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 the sacrifice of bulls and goats that you had all this, didn't die. it just postponed what I'm now giving you. And when he was raised from the dead, he took them with him. He took paradise with him. You read carefully the 27th chapter of Matthew, and you'll actually say that the graves were opened and some of the people were actually seen before they ascended into heaven with Jesus. The kingdom of God came with Jesus to redeem those who would put their faith in Jesus. To forgive them. And to give them citizenship and in an eternal kingdom. That's the reason I love the words of some of our old songs that nobody sings hard anymore. Some of you started to here, and, and when I get to heaven, I'm going to make sure you get a, an extra star. But do you remember the old song? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And the angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't be at home in this world anymore. Because my citizenship is in heaven. I hope yours is too. Father, at this Christmas time, Help our folks to see clearly who you are and what your kingdom is. And help us, O oh Father, to understand that everything here is so temporary and doomed to destruction. But in you, we have eternal life. Through our faith in Jesus, your only begotten Son, whom we try to love and to serve with all of our heart. Dismiss us now to our homes with your ever-abiding presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can take up your bed and walk. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.